0: Good morning. You may now turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. I've been promising for a month that we would eventually get around to this book. Lord willing, He will speak to you from it as we go through it. He's going to take on the first three verses this morning. Beginning in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show His servants. Things which must shortly take place, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, that's what it says in my Bible for the title. Now, the titles in your Bible for the books are not inspired. They're just nice handles for us to have to refer to a book. And so it is with the book of Revelation. Uh, But there are some titles that definitely are not inspired. For example, if you have a really old Bible, maybe one of the old King Jameses without any modification It might say, uh, The Revelation of St. John the Divine. John would, uh, well, he wouldn't roll over in his grave because he's with the Lord. So maybe he'd spin around there in heaven, I don't know. But uh, he would not like that title, The Divine. Nor is it even The Revelation of St. John, as some of you might have. If you want to give a title, we've got one right there in the first verse. I think it's great, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. I like that better than just revelation or the revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That says a lot right there. That, in fact, that's a good summary of the book. That's what this book is about. It's about the revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Uh, you might notice the unusual opening. The, the, the first three verses we read really come before the greeting. You're used to, we've been looking at a lot of the epistles of uh, Paul... They typically begin something like, you know, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the church at Philippi or whatever, right? Well, look at verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. There's the greeting. Well, we've got this little special section, kind of set apart here, a preface, if you will. Uh, very unusual. Where God kind of sets apart and says, uh, this is what this book is about. So it's unusual in its beginning. Let's uh, talk now about this controversial word, if we can call it that, revelation. I think most of you have that, it's translated that in your Bible? Revelation, the revelation, does it say that? It should, of Jesus Christ. Now it comes from a Greek word. Let's start with the root. The root is kalupto, which simply means to cover now like in our language the, the uh, greek language has a lot of prepositions or prefaces or prefixes that you can put on front of words to change their meaning and one of the uh, greek prefixes is apo a-p-o, and it means from so you put apo in front of kalupto and it means literally from cover and the, and the word in the greek kalupto means to take the cover from or to reveal you following me apokalupto that's the verb the noun is apokalypsis. Starting to sound familiar? Yeah. Apocalypse. That's where we get that word. It's really, literally transliteration of the Greek word apokalypsis. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ. It's funny, that word apocalypse has taken on new meanings now. You know, it's come to mean judgment. Or the end times, which is the subject of the book of Revelation, but the word really doesn't mean that. It simply means the uncovering, the unveiling, the revealing. And in this case, in this book, the subject is the revealing, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Now, there are really two things, two main things that are, that are revealed or or unveiled in this marvelous book Uh, we said it's, it's of the person of the lord jesus i'm going to revisit that in a minute but secondly it's the revealing of future things isn't it incredible you can read this these few pages here and god has said beforehand things that are going to happen in the future that's incredible he has unveiled parted so to speak the veil so that we can peek into the future. And see things that are going to happen. But as I said, I like the uh, I like the phrase there as the title, the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know that's that's overdue. The revealing of Jesus Christ. Now I, I say that reverently. Obviously, God's timing is perfect. But uh I don't know about you, if you if you know Jesus, I am longing for him to be revealed. You know? Uh well, oh, you think about it, the very first passages of the Bible where he's promised, he's talked about. And he came the first time, and when you think about it, he was rejected, you know, hated, scorned, crucified. But now, praise God, he was. He saved my soul by doing that. But by and large, even as we speak today, he doesn't get the recognition that he deserves. But he's going to. That's, that's what all of Scripture, in fact, he says in uh, Romans uh, 7, that's what all of creation is groaning for. That day when finally what should happen is finally going to happen. In fact, uh, over in verse 7, I like this. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and listen to this, and every eye will see him. Every eye. Isn't that good? He's not going to go around and and, uh, visit every person and and come up to them. It's going to be in a moment of time, every eye, every created being is going to see him. You know, they have these um, hand-holding ceremonies around the world on Earth Day where they try to raise the cosmic consciousness. You know, everybody kind of tune in on the same wavelength and so on. I don't know how all that stuff works. But this is going to be a real event where every created being is going to participate in one act. And that's the recognition of who Jesus Christ is. Everyone. Philippians chapter 2, you know the passage, wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Everyone. Things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth. He didn't have to say that, you know. He already said every knee. But in case we don't get the message... He covers the whole gamut. Every created being and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now for some, in fact for most, that's going to be the first time those words are going to pass their lips. And it's going to be the last opportunity as well. But at that point in time, I like that every eye here, every knee, every tongue, every one of them, and there, receiving all the worship and the praise and adoration he deserves is going to be Jesus Christ. And really, until that, ha- that happens, things are upside down. <laughs> you know, We're in an upside-down, topsy-turvy world right now where the name of Jesus is scoffed, rejected, mocked, and it can't go on like that forever. And it's appropriate that uh, in the ordering of the books of the Bible, God chose to inspire this book last of all and here it is at the very end it's the it's the capstone the final word the revelation of jesus christ you notice now in uh, the first verse here that there's a sequence did you see that says the revelation of jesus christ now look at which god gave to him to show his servants then what Uh, he sent, at the end of the verse, and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. You see that? God gave uh, the visions and the messages here to Jesus to give to his angel to give to John. Let me just say a couple of things about that. First of all, don't worry. This isn't like the old telephone game, if you ever played that. Maybe you might have played that recently. You know, where you get a line of people, 50 people, and one person says something at the other end, and it it goes person to person. By the time it gets to, to the other end of the line, you don't recognize it, you know. Well, that's not the case here. You see, when God wants to tell us something, I'll promise you, every word in here is trustworthy, okay? When John finally sat down after he'd seen all these wonderful visions, and he says, and then I saw such and such, don't, don't worry the Holy Spirit was right there right there dictating every word for him to put down. you believe that? Nothing lost in the translation here. Secondly, let me just address something here that that uh, often troubles uh, believers when they see it. it says the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants Oh no it says God gave him the revelation what is, does that mean that Jesus is lesser than God? huh does it? No. In fact, it's very characteristic of the writings of John about the Lord Jesus. There is one God, one God. There are three persons who are called God in the Bible. You understand that? You do? Wow. <laughs> You're a better man and woman than I. I don't understand that. There are three persons called God. Not three gods, one God. Okay? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each fully God. Not three gods, one God. And yet within the Godhead, there's a wonderful thing. Uh, for example, a relationship between the Father and the Son. The Son is submissive, obedient to the Father. Isn't that wonderful? We couldn't be saved if that weren't the case. Back in that passage in Philippians we just quoted, he was obedient unto death. And throughout the Gospel of John, you see this picture where Jesus says over and over, I can do nothing of myself. The words I say, I I don't say them of myself. I hear them from my Father. You remember studying the Gospel of John, right? There's the picture you see. It's not that Jesus is is lesser. It's that praise God, the Son is perfectly obedient and submissive to the Father within the Godhead. And this is another picture of that. So God the Father uh, gave... To God the Son, this this wonderful uh, book to be conveyed to his servants, which, um, first of all, past John, would have been, as we're going to get into it, the churches in Asia. not And when you say Asia, not Asia today, but Asia then, which was really Asia Minor, Turkey. They're addressed later, there are seven churches. Uh, but it was really intended for all his servants, all believers of all time. Okay? That's kind of neat, isn't it? You know, it says, God gave this to God the Son to give to John to give to his children, you know, for you and me. It's a gift to us from God. Now, it says in the middle of verse 1, when he talks about the things that are in this wonderful book, he says, things which must, now my translation says, shortly take place. I'm not going to do a lot of Greek as we go through here, but here's another uh, good place to do it the, uh, the word for shortly what, what's some of the words you have there for that you have soon by any chance quickly or swiftly, quickly or swiftly. good that's good that's, that's probably a little bit better the, the Greek I won't tell you what the Greek is but it's the word we get the word uh, tachometer from okay which really you measure RPMs with but we'll say you measure speed too you know speed that's the idea speed swiftness quickly and so, really, he's conveying two ideas, both of which are true. First of all, this is going to happen soon. And you say, oh, well, forget that one. It's been 2,000 years. We're in such a hurry, you know. I'll tell you, that 2,000 years is, is but a day to God. You know? It seems like so long to us. But uh, it, it's going to be over before you know it soon and part of the idea there is too that there's nothing left to happen prophetically to keep these things in in revelation from beginning they could start at any time okay that's the idea there's there's no there's nothing we have to wait for to happen first other than the rapture we'll mention that in a second but that's really that's the beginning of the things in this book But the other idea, um, Jason said his has swiftly or quickly. I have that in the margin on mine. The idea is that once once they do begin to happen, they're going to happen fast. It's really remarkable, you know, when you think about it, uh, the thousands of years that the earth has existed, that he's going to wrap it up in seven years. He's going to bring it to a close in seven years. Seven years. And what a time that's going to be. There's going to be so much compressed in that brief span. Jesus said it's uh, such a time that the world has never seen nor will ever see again. He said that uh, the days are shortened for the sake of the elect. Doesn't, uh, some, some people get off on the thing that, well, maybe the hours, you know, it's going to be less than 24 hours in a day. That, that doesn't know what that means. It just means that uh, it's, it's just such a short time for God to do what he's going to do. When you read this book and all the things that take place... That is compressed into seven years, and uh, one of the things that uh, drives this home is uh, the three sets of judgments. It begins with seven seals, followed by seven trumpets, and concluded by seven bowls or seven vials. You've probably heard of those. The interesting thing is that you have the, the first six seals, and then on the seventh seal, really the seventh seal contains the seven trumpets. Then six trumpets sound, and then it turns out that the seventh trumpet really contains the seven bowls. Do you understand? So the idea is that the the seals come at a certain pace, but then when the trumpets come, they come faster, and then finally when the when the bowls come, they come even faster. So it's it's kind of like this: if if you were to sound it out, it'd be like this. Uh, first, the the six um, seals would be you know. Then the trumpets. Then the bowls. Acts of judgment coming from God just with increasing rapidity. And finally, when, when the, uh, the seventh bowl has been emptied, then Jesus comes, this is the climax. Then, really, almost at the end of, the, of this book, the revelation every eye shall see him of Jesus Christ. So it's like a drum roll, if you will, anticipating the return of the Lord. Well, it says, uh, signified it by his angel to a servant, John. Who's John? Well, it's John, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James. Remember the sons of thunder in the Gospels? God uh, kept this dear man alive for probably around 90 plus years. And toward the end of his life, that's when he gave him this wonderful revelation to record in the scripture for us. We know a little bit about um, the setting. Look at verse 9. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And uh, maybe... Later, You might want to look back at your atlas. You'll see the little island of Patmos right there in the Mediterranean. And it turns out that John, the wonderful apostle that wrote... How many books did he write in the New Testament? Very good, five. The guy who wrote the Gospel of John, which we just finished studying in the morning. He has three letters, three epistles. that come right before the book of Revelation and then the book of Revelation. And he lived to a ripe old age, lived out most of his later life in the city of Ephesus... But uh, during part of that time, because he was so faithful in uh, witnessing for the Lord, the cruel emperor Domitian banished him to the island of Patmos. And just as an encouragement, God uses terrible things like in our lives to uh, draw us closer to him. And it was during that time of imprisonment on the island of Patmos that uh, God gave him this revelation. These visions. What a time that must have been, huh? You think he was encouraged? <clears throat> Probably around um, 95, 96 A.D. if you want a time for it. Which is well after most of the other books in the scripture. I like the way um, Paul, uh, pardon me, John describes himself here. He says, uh, after verse 1, he says, by his angel to his servant John, he says, who bore witness to the word of God, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, and to all things that he saw. Faithful brother, huh? See what he says there? He bore witness. He he had a lot that he could share. He was with the Lord for three years. And think of that wonderful gospel that we just finished at, at 9.30 in the morning. Wasn't that a good book? huh? Wasn't that edifying? Didn't that honor the Lord? He was a faithful witness. Look back at... Um, that gospel once again and just see where he, he, uh, he's that faithful witness. He, he says this in everything that he writes. The very last chapter of John 21, verse 24, he says, This is the disciple who testified of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. He'd seen a lot when he was with the Lord. He'd heard a lot. And he was a faithful witness. Then look back toward Revelation. You're almost there, but stop at 1 John. 1 John, verse 1. That which we from the beginning have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness. And declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. And then verse 4, these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. So having written the Gospel of John, the life of the Lord, and then uh, three letters to the churches, God calls on him one more time to take out his pen and write some wonderful things. Things I don't think John ever expected to see. The Book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people come to the Book of Revelation, and they say, "You know, I read that thing, and I just can't make heads or tails of it." And uh, I know a lot of Christians—they'll read it once, and that's the last time. You know, they'll, they'll kind of read it and say, "I don't, I don't understand this," and they'll and they'll put it away, which is really a shame. Did you notice what verse three said? Not, not uh, every book in the Bible has this in it. Although it's true of every book in the Bible, God says this about this particular book. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time of the year. Did you see that? God gives us, he says, there's a special blessing. There's nothing magical about the book. But for a believer who reads this and takes these things to heart, notice what he says. He doesn't just say, blessed is he who reads... Or blessed he who hears. But what? And keeps. Yeah. Whether you read and keep the things or you hear and keep the things. You can't just hear. You just can't read. You've got to do one or the other and keep the things. Remember what Jesus said after his uh, sermon on the mount. That wonderful uh, four or five chapters in Matthew there. Along about chapter 7. He finishes it up and he, and he talks about Uh, The man who built his house on the rock and the man that built his house on the sand. And what did he say? He said, The man who built his house on the rock is like the man who hears my words and what? And does them. There is no blessing in just hearing the words of Jesus or reading the Bible. Okay? In fact, really, it's worse to read it and not do it. Jesus said that. It's useless. In uh, John 13, when he washed the disciples' feet, he said, I gave you an example. And he said, you're blessed if you know these things and do what? And do them. That's right. But I think it's wonderful that he tells us that about this book. He said, blessed is the one who reads this book and does it. Or who hears it and does it. So I want to stress that before we really get into it next week, Lord willing, uh, we don't want to approach this just to tickle our ears. And, and as I said before, all that neat prophecy stuff, which is really it's interesting. I'm not taking away from it, but the purpose should be to have it change our lives. You see, to read it and and allow it to to work on me, and and certainly it doesn't take a lot of uh, <clears throat> rocket scientists to to realize that one of the great purposes of the book is to realize Jesus is coming very, very soon. (coughs) Unlike any other time in history, I mean, he's got to be right at the door, right now, where we are. The stage is set. And the point would be to be ready for his soon return. Well, as we get into the book, as you know, most of it is prophecy, but let me just give you a quick Uh, outline here you might want to jot this down just to give yourself a little guideline as to where we're going actually uh, to make a quick outline of the book is very easy it breaks down into three parts the first part is chapter one and chapter one really is the revelation of jesus christ to john the apostle he has a vision of the lord himself in glory that's really pretty much the first chapter and and, uh, and the lord charges him with certain things That's chapter 1, first part. Second part, very easy to recognize. Most of you are familiar with it. Chapters 2 and 3. That's the letters to the churches. Part 3, that's the rest of the book. 4 through 21, things to come. In fact, a lot of people have made a handy little outline out of verse 19. You might look at that chapter 1 verse 19 this is the risen lord speaking here to john and he says write the things which you three things have seen the things which are and the things that will take place after this so uh, it's easy to assign the things you have seen well that's chapter one and he's saying that right at the end of the chapter he says the things which are and those are the letters to the churches they're letters to real churches in Asia Minor at that time. They exist. They aren't. They are prophecy. They're not a prediction of future things. They are actual letters to real churches. Okay, things that are. And then, starting in uh, chapter four, we get into the things w- that will take place after this, as he says. There. So there's your outline right there, in uh, verse 19. Now, that uh, that last chunk there. Chapters uh, 4 through 21, that's 18. We could could break that down even further if you'd like. 4 and 5 are are, uh, a scene in heaven. And really it's the beginning of the tribulation. Because at the end of that scene, as you know, many of you, uh, you have the picture of the scroll. And no one being found worthy to open. it. It's a scroll with the seals inside and out. It's a scroll with seven seals. And that's the beginning. The removal of the first seal... Beginning in chapter 6 is the beginning of the judgments during the, the tribulation. So 4 and 5 is a scene in heaven. Then uh, 6 through uh, 19 are the, the tribulation, the judgments during the tribulation. Now that's the difficult part, and we're going to take that section slow. The reason is, is because uh, it's not all chronological. As you get into that section and you look at all the things that are going to be happening, God has this thread of the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls that runs throughout that section. And that's what kind of holds it together. And those are in order. But there are all these parentheses that are, that are in there. Kind of little asides about an event or about an individual or about some kind of a symbol. Okay? And now to help understand a lot of those things, we're going to look all over the Scripture to understand the book of Revelation, we're going to have to compare Scripture with Scripture. We're going to spend a lot of time in the Prophets in the Old Testament. We're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. A little bit in Romans 9 through 11. Some in Ephesians 2 and 3 other places. But, uh, as you know, it's highly symbolic. It's prophetic language. You see the uh, word like and as. A lot. What's what's that? Remember that what, from grammar. What's that when you? Is I saw something that was like this. What's that? What's that called? Simile, right? Very good. A lot of similes, a lot of metaphors, a lot of pictures, beasts, sounds, visions, colors, numbers. Just to give you an example, the number seven occurs all over the place in the book of Revelation. You have seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven years, seven angels, seven stars, seven plagues. Seven thunders. Seven horns and eyes on a particular beast. Another beast with seven heads. Seven spirits. And seven golden lampstands. Now the number seven, if you study the scripture enough, you probably are familiar. You know what that's the symbol of? What's seven? What is it? Completion. Yes. Completion or perfection. That's right. Yeah. Other significant numbers? Three? Six? Okay. You all familiar with six, six, six? We'll get into all that stuff when we get into it. Let me just say, okay, first of all, now the nice thing is some of these symbols, we don't have to guess. God tells us what they mean. A good example is the dragon. He talks about this being called the dragon, long around chapter 11 and 12. And then he tells us who it is. It's Satan, the devil. So you don't have to guess at that, okay? But then there are others, this woman with the uh, 12 stars and, and so on woman on the beast. Many, many, many symbols. That's where we want to be careful. Okay? I tell you, more well-meaning people, some of them are Christians and some aren't, have done more damage by going into the book of Revelation and assigning uh, literal interpretation you think the Christians would learn is this Y2K stuff. I don't know how many books are out now saying that's the date. That's it. That's when Jesus is coming back. What did Jesus say? Nobody knows that hour. That's right. It's amazing to me. Look back at chapter 22. This is an unusual book. It has a blessing in the beginning. It has blessings throughout it. And it has warnings in it. Revelation 22 Look at this. This is a warning. Verse 18, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, what? God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. That's a warning. He says, look, read this book, you study it, you obey it, you'll be blessed, but don't add to it. Don't go away and add all these crazy speculations to it that has happened so many times and it's happening again with all this Y2K business. Okay, don't do that. There's a real temptation, I know, believers that get caught up in all that stuff, you know, and it, and it kind of chills the, the spine and, and it gets people thinking about God and so on. But the problem is, when that date passes, you know, and Jesus didn't come, then your testimony is lost. The, the latest example of that, many of you remember it was that book, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. You remember that? Well, it's 1999, and Jesus didn't come. And many of you know, there's a dear brother, many of us know, he got all excited about that book, and he mailed it to everybody. Anybody he'd meet, he'd give them a copy. I'll tell you what, in 1989, his mouth was stopped. When it came to telling those people about Jesus, you know, like Lot and Sodom, they mocked. Imagine going up to him in 1989 and saying, let me tell you about Jesus. You know? Well, you said he was coming back last year and he didn't. What's going on? You know? So be careful. All these fanciful, uh, they sell books, all these fanciful interpretations and and specific uh, fulfillments. But the bottom line is we don't know. We're safe as long as we stay within the confines of Scripture. And that's what we're going to try to do when we go through this book. There's a lot we can see, more than enough, to, to motivate us and to make us expect it for the Lord's return. Okay, well, so much for the introduction to the book of Revelation. Lord willing, next week, we'll really begin in earnest with the greeting in verse 4. <clears throat> Let me just close by saying we, we can't look at a book like this Without saying, we're not here just to, to add knowledge to our brains. The whole point is to be ready. To be ready. And I'm not saying this because everybody's saying it or or because it makes for a good copy at the pulpit. I really believe Jesus is coming back very soon. Very, very soon. He did talk about in the Gospels, you know, he said, you, you, uh, <clears throat> you look at the sky, you know, and it's red, and you say there's a storm coming, you you can read the seasons, all right, He says, but you can't read the times. He's inferring, though, that you should be able to look at events around you. And that's in the context of his return. There's a sense of which you can look around and see events culminating and coming to that. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, this, this, this year is, seems like, I don't know if we can make it through it before he comes. And uh, we're going to look at this book and it's going to tell us what it's going to be like. And the first, the, the event is going to kick it off is, he's going to take those that are really saved away from here. It's
1: called the rapture.
0: And it's not the first time that God has done something like this. Whenever He's brought judgment in any place, He always takes His own out first. You see, remember Sodom and Gomorrah? What did He do there? Went well, and took Lot and his family out before He judged it. He couldn't do anything, in fact, until they were out. Remember that. They were pleading with him. They said, we can't do anything until you're out of here. That, that, that's the heart of God, you see. He takes care of his own. The flood, really the first great judgment of the world. First, he takes Noah and his family, puts them in that ark. So they're not subjected to the judgment, you see, that destroyed everybody else. Those are pictures, really, of what he's going to do with his own before he begins these judgments that are uh, so eloquently displayed here in the book of Revelation. called the rapture. Now, I've said it before, but let me just say it again. Uh, Oh, about 10, 15, 20 years ago, I saw a bunch of posters and paintings. You may have seen them. I think they're still around, you know, of of what the earth is going to be like when the rapture hits. And uh, it's like there's nobody left. You know, all these scenes of devastation because all these people are gone, you know. Planes crashing into buildings and cars driving off the road and so on. Uh and that's a pretty optimistic view, but I don't think it's very realistic. When when Jesus takes the... I'm talking about the people who really know Jesus. Not the people that say they're Christians. He's not going to take them. Just the ones that really know Him. And He knows. I'm glad it's up to Him. He says in John 10, he knows, He, says he knows His own and His own know Him. His sheep hear His voice. So He knows who they are. But to be honest, I'll tell you... Out of the population of, what is it, 300 million in the U.S. now? You know, at least half would say they're Christians. We're not going to be missing half the U.S. when Jesus takes the real Christians to be with himself. It's going to be a little dent. maybe a little dent in the population here and there. By and large, most churches, and I'm using that in quotes, are going to continue the next Sunday, complete with preacher. I'm not saying every other church out there is heretical. No. And you can include it at the cults, you know. Gonna, not a ripple. Everybody's going to be there next Sunday, and the rapture will have hit, and the tribulation will have begun. Many churches will have just a few missing. You say, "Oh, come on! How can that? Everybody's going to notice." Uh-uh. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter two. We're going to look at this in a lot more detail later. But there's just one idea I want to get out of it this morning. It's at the end of the section that uh, has a little discussion about the Antichrist. And in verse 9, this is Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. He's talking about people who heard the gospel. They knew who Jesus was. They knew they were sinners. They knew they had to turn to Christ to be saved, but they refused. Maybe they said, "Oh, wait. That's a classic. The reason tends to be because I want to ruin my own life. I will not have this man reign over me. Now you have to be careful. You keep putting that off. God's going to make sure. You'll never do it. That's what he says here. He says, verse 11, for this reason, what what reason? They heard the gospel. They knew who Jesus was. They knew he was the only Savior. But they didn't turn to him. For that reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. You see that? That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Man, that's scary. I'll tell you. If God is going to make, delude you as an act of judgment, by the way, you see, you haven't trusted Christ, you've chosen to basically believe a lie, then it's, it's ironic that the act of judgment God is going to bring upon someone like that is he's going to make them believe a lie, whether they want to or not at that point. So nobody's going to wake up, you know, the next Sunday and say, whoa, the Christians are all gone, I better get saved. It's going to happen. You can't do that. If God is going to send a delusion on you, you're not going to be able to resist. And the thing about it is you're going to be believing, whatever the lie is, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be some explanation, and you're going to believe that explanation, and you're not even going to know it. You're not even going to sense, you know, that you are believing a lie. It's going to make so much sense, it's going to be so right. Because God's going to do it, you see. Now, I believe there's some in this room. Put that category. Now, you read this and you say, oh, but it says, um, those that uh, did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I'm a, I'm not, I don't live licentiously, you know. I don't squander my life. I don't live like that. Eh. Had pleasure in unrighteousness. It just means that you didn't delight in the truth. You really didn't delight your heart in the Lord, and in the gospel, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been a Christian now for 28 years and I've met people and I've been concerned about them. And I say this really out of concern. Who say they're believers and yet when you look at their lives, there's no evidence. And it's remarkable to me that there's a pattern I occasionally have met people like this and and if you try to talk to them about their relationship with the Lord, you know, you know how they usually react? They get offensive. It's like, you're you're questioning my testimony, you know? Or somebody else, out of out of concern, it's out of love. Jesus did that. You know? Nothing worse than to think you're okay with God when you're not. You know? Better to be not okay with God and know it. <laughs> You know, because then you're liable to do something about it. But to think that you're right with Jesus Christ and you don't even know that you're, you're not right. That's, that's the worst position to be in. And Jesus tried time and time again to get it through to people like that. It's, it's, the, it's a foolish, a fatal mistake. Jesus said, there will be many in that day that come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and I will say to you, I never knew you. My heart goes out to somebody like that. You know, I'm like Paul. I don't know who's saved and who isn't. He says, he, said it, he said it well when he said, the Lord knows them that are his. The Lord knows. And that's good because he's the one that's going to take them to himself. But let me just pose something to you here. Jesus could come back this week for the rapture. Not, not the visible return. That's after the tribulation. But to bring his, his own, the ones that are really saved to himself. Did it happen this week. What if it did? If he did, boy, praise God. You know, he promised that he would come back and take us to the place that he's prepared. And if you really know Jesus Christ, then guaranteed you're not going to be left behind. He will take you to himself this week. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> For sure. But there are some... They're not gonna know that it happened. You know, how how might you find out? Well I imagine there's gonna be a news event of some kind, you know. Some people have, have disappeared or something. I don't I don't know how it's gonna happen. And there's gonna be an explanation. And that's the delusion, the lie that's gonna come. And you'd find out, maybe maybe through a friend, maybe through the news. And I can just see people. You know, maybe some in this room calling around. You know, maybe going through the the chapel phone book to see if so-and-so is still there and finding out they're not. You know? What a horrible thing to have to experience, huh? By and large, though, you know, next Sunday, there'll be lots, lots of church meetings, lots of churches packed to the brim, just like they were before. Preacher right up there preaching away. And I wonder if there wouldn't be maybe just a little... Little small crowd of people out here in the parking lot. Here. You know? It's all gonna be explained somehow. And whatever the lie is, it's gonna be believed. But ask yourself, you know, would I be in that little crowd out there in the parking lot next Sunday if Jesus came this week? Are you ready? This is, this is nothing to just kind of assume everything's okay. This is eternity. This is forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, how fitting it is that every eye is going to see you. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord Jesus, we pray for every person in this room that there would not be one left behind when you come and take your own to yourself. Lord, we pray, oh, that no one here would have that first experience of calling you Lord when it's too late. May they bend the knee now and joyfully cry out, Jesus Christ is Lord, my Lord, in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.